2: Today is Wednesday, October 11, 2023. Coming up on Roll of Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Hamas militants attack Israeli by air, sea, and ground. And now Israel is responding. We'll talk about the devastation uh, in the Middle East that has caused more than 2,000 deaths on both sides. And national security expert Hector Noah Haynes is here to make sense of this uh, war. A Florida NAACP chapter is demanding the Tampa uh, police take accountability for misconduct by its officers. Two videos have surfaced showing one officer taunting black residents and another choking a man during an arrest. We'll be joined by the president of the NAACP Hills- Hillsborough County Branch. Thousands of Virginia voters have been purged from the voter roll. Democrats are demanding the Department of Justice investigate Gate. We'll be joined by Virginia House Democratic Leader Don Scott uh, on this issue. Vice President Kamala Harris's "Fight for Our Freedoms" college tour for the College of Charleston. We will have uh, some of that for you. Also, I'm going to break down the continuing stories about why national media keeps saying Kamala Harris is a problem, and really, what is going on here. Plus, we're paying tribute to uh, one of the three surviving descendants of the Tulsa Race Massacre, Uncle Red. He has passed with the age of 102. It is time to bring the funk I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered on Blackstone Network. Let's go.
3: He's got whatever the miss he's
0: on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling, best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics.
2: In the last several days we have had to witness a shocking devastating video coming out of the middle east after hamas militants issued a surprise attack on israel nearly more than 2000 people have been killed on both sides israelis as well as palestinians there in the gaza strip 22 americans have also died israel Um, They what they've done is they've responded in kind. Uh, They have banned electricity, water and other items going coming into the Gaza Strip. Other countries are enforcing a blockade as well. Uh, they are uh, going, attacking, and going after many of the Hamas, home, uh, Hamas strongholds there uh, in the Gaza Strip. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and National Unity Party leader Benny Gantz says the government will not pass any laws or make any decisions that do not concern the conduct of war. Now, President Joe Biden. Uh, He, of course, has also been speaking out. He spoke again today, uh, making it clear uh, that the United States stands strongly and firmly uh, with Israel. This has led to uh, a lot of uh, back and forth uh, on Capitol Hill. You also have um, members of uh, both parties talking about uh, what needs to be done to uh, actually uh, provide additional resources to Israel uh, in this battle. Uh, So many different things have been going on. You've had uh, various uh, universities. Excuse me, various uh, students of the university have been issuing statements, uh, some of them highly critical. You've got folks who've been also been criticizing, uh, they've been criticizing um, uh, members of Congress. Uh, folks are making decisions do they stand with Israel, do they stand with the Palestinians? Uh, you've got uh, critics of uh, Black Lives Matter Chicago for uh, what they've been posting. And so we've just seen, uh, again, uh, a significant number. Uh, a significant number uh, of uh, folks speaking on uh, both sides, uh, multiple sides of this issue. It has led to uh, a lot of consternation as we, we're seeing again as these bodies uh, are being um, are being uh, pulled out of the rubble. We're seeing reports uh, and, uh, and unfortunately a lot of disinformation on social media as well. Uh, trying to understand uh, exactly uh, what is going on, uh, what is going on uh, over there as we speak. Uh, here's President Biden speaking a little bit earlier. Uh, give me one second, all right, folks. Let me just uh, just pull this. Just pull this up. Here we go.
4: I mean, I I I've been doing this a long time. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. I never thought I'd ever. Anyway, I. Uh... But there are. Countries in the region are trying to be of some help, including Arab nations, <clears throat> are trying to be of some help. So, uh,
2: uh, Doug Imhoff, who is, of course, the second gentleman uh, who was married to uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, he is uh, also Jewish. He also uh, spoke today. Here's what he had to say.
5: We are all hurting. The entire Jewish community is hurting. I'm hurting. We grieve with you. We stand with you. But thank God we have the steady leadership of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris during this unthinkable time in our history. Their moral compass, their calm, their empathy are what we need in this time of crisis. And we saw that yesterday when President Biden with Vice President Harris and Secretary Blinken by his side powerfully addressed the nation and made clear to the world that Israel has the United States' unwavering support. Our president and vice president are making sure Israel has what it needs to defend itself. We are grateful for their leadership and support for Israel at this exceptionally difficult time. We also acknowledge and address how these events will impact us as Jews and why.
2: All right. Um, joining us right now is national security expert, Dr. Nola Haynes. Um, so, Doc, glad to have you here. So, all right. Uh, you know, Where do we even begin? First of all, this started with this surprise attack by Hamas um, uh, against, is there some 5,000 rockets uh, were fired. So, for, so I want to do this here. A lot of people, a lot of people really have no understanding of anything uh, in this region. So let's first do this here. Explain to folks the difference between Hamas and the PLO. And so when you see people talking about they stand with Palestine, it doesn't mean that they are defending Hamas. So explain to people who don't quite understand this region at all.
6: Um, Thank you so much for... uh... Doing this segment, it's very important. And I think it's important to talk to everybody about what's happening, especially folks in our community. And that is a great starting point. You know, we can go all the way back to 1948 when the state of Israel was even founded. This is how far this goes back. It goes all the way back there. And there are different times in the 60s and the 70s where you had different uh, skirmishes. There was a Six-Day War in 1967, 1972. There are so many uh, instances that you can point to, but nothing quite like this on this scale. So in 2006, uh, Hamas came into power in Gaza. I want to be very clear about them having power in Gaza. There's the West Bank, and there are other parts where Palestinians are, in Lebanon and Jordan. In 1948, when when Israel became a state and a lot of Palestinians were forced to go elsewhere, they migrated to to many different parts. So we're, we're, we're talking about the Gaza Strip. So they came into power in 2006, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster since then they ousted they they ousted um the fatah party that that was that was there and then also the plo and hamas got started with the brother the um egypt's brotherhood which was kind of a an organization that dates I forget exactly when they when they came into power, but it was a pretty powerful organization. But then they broke off, and then they became Hamas. So they've had a presence, I would say, probably since the 80s, and they slowly gained power. And they officially came into power in 2006.
2: So when we say, so say coming to power. I feel to understand that was an election, uh, and this was in President George I'm W. Right. This is when President George W. Bush was there, and there were a number yeah. of people uh, who were trying to explain to the Bush administration. Do not move forward with this election. Hamas is going to win. Uh, and yeah. so uh, Connolly's arrival rising secretary of state. Uh, they said, no, there's going to be an election there, and that's exactly what happened uh, there in the Gaza Strip. Uh, And so what you had is you had Hamas, uh, who was saying to people, we're going to provide you food, uh, shelter, things along those lines. We're talking about a territory uh, with about 2 million people, half of them children, 90% of the place doesn't have electricity. Uh, 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 You've had uh, the U.N. Secretary General literally call this an open-air prison, and so Mm -hmm. folk have to understand really what what this area is like uh, and really what is going on here, which explains why Hamas has been able to control the Gaza Strip. Go ahead.
6: I'll give you an example. Think about the Taliban right now being in charge of Afghanistan. You can say they came to power, but they took it, essentially. So we really are talking about uh, a, a terrorist organization running... Uh, the Gaza Strip, but like you said, Roland with over 2 million people uh, in, in that area. So when we say they came to power, that's a nice way of saying um, a lot of people, a lot of people didn't have a lot of choice. They were looking for something different because they were suffering. And so this is very, very typical with a lot of ter- terrorist organizations. They will promise, 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 and in some instances, they will actually do the work. They will actually come and feed you, but they also have these ulterior motives where they want to also enact some level of Sharia law, right, and th- through force. So that's another that's another part of it. So. Uh, Palestinian folks have been living under pretty extreme circumstances since 2006. And
2: you have have these competing power centers among the Palestinians. You have the PLO, uh, uh, Yasser Arafat was their leader for a very long time, Uh, and they were the the, the traditional group. You've got Hamas, which which some may call the militant wing, and so you have folks at odds. Now we're seeing stories out of Israel uh, saying that uh, Netanyahu... Uh, wanted to isolate the PLO uh, and then support being driven to Hamas to be able to then, frankly, crush both.
6: Exactly, because one of the things and Hamas has been very clear about this, they want part of Jerusalem, they want they want the Palestinian state to be recognized. They they want the state of Palestine. And a big piece of that is Jerusalem. So I kind of want to fast forward to 2017, when the embassy was moved to Jerusalem. Hamas was not happy with that. They were not happy with the Trump administration at all. So that's kind of like a starting point. And,
2: and, and hold up, hold up before, I, before you go there, uh, you had yeah. many white conservative, white evangelical Christians here in the United States who wanted that to happen as well. And so what you have here, you have this, this, this very interesting, um, alliance a, a going on where you have white evangelicals who strongly who, who are strongly backing that and pushing that where you had a number of folks uh, who are Jewish who was sort of like mm, is this really a, a major deal uh, and so that was again one of those conflicting issues where you had folks on multiple sides and you're like well why are y'all pushing this thing so diligently
6: Right, and I am not a biblical scholar. Yes, I did go to divinity school, but I leave that to my colleagues who know more about that, where that really goes all the way back. That's a biblical textual argument Right, a lot of evangelicals will stand ten toes down on. They really will, and they see Jerusalem as as being the the, the the crowning jewel, right? So when the embassy was moved to Jerusalem, you're right, there were a lot of evangelicals, um, not just white ones, a lot of evangelicals were very happy about that, but Hamas was not happy about that at all because they see that as part of the legitimate state of Palestine. So that tension in 2017, we are seeing an escalation. Right. And on top of that, the Abraham Accord. So there's this process of normalizing Israel. And what I mean by that is, is for other states in the Middle East, the Middle East to recognize uh, Israel as a sovereign state. And so the, the, the normalization process that a lot of people are talking about, there's a lot of mis, mis and disinformation around Iran. There are a lot of conspiracy theories being drawn together. but the gist of it is, is that there was a critical piece of normalization that was happening with Saudi Arabia. So some of these, uh, the way that people are weaving stories together is to say that, well, Hamas definitely is interested in destabilizing the region. I mean, you don't attack unless your goal is uh, to destabilize, right? And so a lot of people are saying that 2017, with moving the embassy to Jerusalem, coupled with normalization, recognizing Israel as a sovereign state, are the the, the sparks that really um, pushed Hamas to this extreme point. So. That is a point of view. Right. Things are still unfolding. We're still finding out information. But I want to make one thing very clear. Roland, you mentioned mis and disinformation earlier. There are a lot of stories out there about Iran having direct involvement and in helping this happen. We do not have evidence of that, first and foremost.
2: Right, right. Yeah. I, 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 hold on one second, because the reason I, I, I want to I, I really hit that point, first of all, I'm going to go to a break. We come back. I want to deal with that. Uh, because when President Biden spoke yesterday, he was attacked by a lot of right-wing folks. He didn't mention Iran. They were behind this. These are the same people who were yelling, "Iraq had weapons of mass destruction." Uh, we have also uh, we've also uh, seen these reports uh, saying that Hamas has beheaded uh, 40-some odd children. But then we're hearing from official. Uh, uh, folks in Israel that that cannot be confirmed. So it's a whole lot of stuff that's being thrown out. It has not helped because Elon Musk, they're not his his ex, also Twitter, they're not even stopping a lot of this stuff. So really people right now are saying a lot of things are happening that are actually not. And so I want to pick up when we come back uh, on that. I just want to just walk people through. And uh, I want to talk about, again, uh, and, and I want you to give people an understanding why the United States has historically uh, stood so steadfast with Israel, and then we're going to also get into why do you have this relationship, this alliance, if you will, between a lot of African Americans and the Palestinians. And so people need to understand there's a whole lot of things here at play, geopolitics, American politics, yes, oppression, racism, you name it, all these things are happening, and right now, so many people are now being sort of pushed into a corner where people are saying, all right, who are you with? It's either Israel or the Palestinians. You can't be for both. Uh, and you've got celebrities who are getting in trouble. You've got people, uh, universities. It's all members of Congress. It's all sorts of drama that's being laid out. And so we just want to unpack some people so we, our folks, have the accurate, proper information. So Nola, hold tight one second, folks. We'll be right back on Rolling Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. 0196. The Cash App is Dollar Sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is Roland at RolandSmartin.com. Pull up a chair. Take your seat. The Black Tape. With me, Dr. Greg Carr,
8: here on the Black Star Network. Every week we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball and hockey to the next level with same game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos and much more.
7: Me, Sherry Shepard, and you know what you're watching, Roland Martin,
11: unfiltered.
12: Well, it's good to be back in Charleston, uh, but I want to just first of all say a few words about what's happening in Israel right now, and um, needless to say, I'm completely outraged by what has taken place. We are looking at extreme acts of terrorism that must be condemned in no uncertain terms. There is absolutely no justification for terrorism. The President and I take very seriously our commitment to Israel and to the people of Israel to support them, and in particular, to give Israel what it needs to defend itself. One of our highest priorities, of course, is the safety and well-being of American citizens, and that will continue to be among our highest priorities. It is also critically important that, as we have been, we will stay in constant communication and contact with our allies, with our Israeli partners, with members of Congress, as we have been doing in these last few days. In fact, this morning, I was on a call that the President was on with Prime Minister Netanyahu, which is now one of many calls that have taken place to restate our commitment that is unwavering to stand with Israel and the
2: Israeli people. So thank you. All right, that was Vice President Kamala Harris. Today, we go back to our our guest, Dr. Nola Haynes, national security expert. Nola, for people who don't understand the relationship between the United States and Israel, uh, very close. Uh, We send Israel billions of dollars annually.
6: This relationship goes all the way back to 1948. We were the first country to recognize Israel as a state. They are our security partner and ally. They believe in democratic values, and the relationship is very, very strong.
2: And when you say our security partner, folks have to understand we rely on Israel and the relationship and the intelligence when it comes to many of those other countries uh, in the Middle East uh, that, uh, are not, that, that are not that don't have democracies. Uh, and that, Frank, and for many of them, they have been enemies of Israel and vice versa. Absolutely.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And a part of it, a large part of it is it is a, a new-ish state. And what I, what I mean by that is the Middle East is very, very old. History means a great deal in the Middle East. There's this saying that the Middle East never forgets, that it knows its history. So you have a newly formed state where Palestinians believe is their, their, their land. You know, like Native Americans here believe that much of this country, if not all, belongs to them. It is something very similar. So you have this new state forming, and then you have the United States that is coming off of winning World War II uh, and uh, pretty much d- destroying two countries in Japan. You have this new emerging superpower backing Israel. So who's going to go up against that country?
2: And again, you, and what you had here was you had a country that was created uh, because you had uh, you had uh, European Jews who were being killed uh, in Germany, and so it was the creation, frankly, of their own country, a homeland for them. And then you have uh, Palestinians who are saying, "Wait a minute, you you're taking our homeland, our land, to create." A land for them, uh, and then, and then again, you had Jewish, Muslim. Now all of a sudden, you've got uh, the back and forth, and that literally has been the battle: whose land is it? Who owns it? And then when you throw in the yes, those white conservatives, the white evangelicals, their whole deal is wait a minute, that land originally belonged to Israel. And so you've got all of these conflicting things going. And so the United States uh, has been trying to pursue this two state solution. President Jimmy Carter, uh, every American president has been trying to actually negotiate that uh, for the longest. Uh, And uh, some say we came very close at times, but the reality is you still have two folks. Who are at odds over the same territory?
6: Exactly. You know, um, it's really simple. As it's history, stupid, right? It's one of those moments. Again, history means a great deal in in the Middle East, and hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were displaced from their homeland. And Jerusalem is such a huge piece to this narrative. And that really is the crowning jewel for both Israel and for, for Palestinians, right? So it it's the crowning jewel for uh Christians, for Jews, and for Muslims. So that that part, that, that part of the world, that specific That specific place holds sway for various reasons for different Abrahamic uh, uh, religious groups. So there's that part. We cannot, I cannot state that any more clearly. How theology and religion is wrapped up into this, and how it gets warped, and how it gets used and weaponized. So that's one part of it.
2: And and, and and let me say this here, because uh, I love what these idiots think. I'm not following what they're saying. Spons like, oh, Roland's trying to play it safe. No, it's called facts. So the problem is, it's a whole bunch of people out here who are black, who are white, or whatever, who actually have no idea what the hell they're talking about. They have no understanding of this region, no understanding of the history, don't understand how we even got to this point. They can't tell you the difference between Hamas and Hezbollah or any of those things. And so, yeah, what we're not gonna do is, we're not gonna sit here and go through hysterics. We're gonna actually give folks critical information. Now, to that particular point, before we went to the break, you said there's been no confirmation that Iran has been involved in this. The Wall Street Journal had a story that dropped a couple of days ago, uh, crediting sources as saying that Iran uh, helped uh, Hamas plan this. But, they, but Israeli intelligence and American intelligence have not been able to confirm this. And that story dropped. And then what happened? Folks ran with it. It was like, oh, there you go. Iran was involved.
6: See, I don't, I don't like people who instigate and play with fire and then try to hide their hands, because it's this is serious. You know, we're not playing around here. You know, you come out with allegations like that, you need to have evidence to back it up. So what I know is there is no evidence yet to confirm that. Now, with that said, does that mean that Iran has not been complicit in terms of, you know— funding uh, terrorist activities, partnering with Hamas. I'm not saying that. Regarding this specific situation, there is no evidence. And then another story that is out there that is also disinformation so far is about Hezbollah and Lebanon. There's a story that's...
2: Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you even go there, again, for Mm -hmm. folk who are clueless who don't know, what is Hezbollah?
6: Hezbollah is another um, Hamas-like organization out of Lebanon. You know, I want to say this, Roland. I've I've studied terrorism for a very long time. And one of the things that has been swirling around, uh, a question over the last couple years, you know, has terrorism retreated or do we still need to worry about it? Well, what happened a few days ago, clearly we still need to worry about it, right? Um, and so I was one of the people out there saying terrorism has not gone away, but I was looking more at Afghanistan and Western Africa. And I I will admit, you know, this 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 Hamas strike has definitely taken everyone by surprise. But because Hamas has done what it's done and they have had different partnerships with different terrorist organizations in the region, people are also bringing Hezbollah and Lebanon into uh, the mix, too.
2: I'm glad you said that, because there was a lot of criticism of uh, U.S. uh, officials by saying, hey, uh, the Middle East is quiet. It has been. I mean, really, really what is what you heard a lot in the Middle East were the protests in Israel uh, when it came to Netanyahu trying to change the uh, judiciary there. You had massive protests happening there for the longest. It was quiet. So the reason this has uh, has blown folks away because it seemingly came out of nowhere. And then you you had Israeli and American intelligence officials say they didn't even see this coming.
6: You know, it reminds me of the beginning of uh, Russia, Ukraine, and people said that it kind of came out of nowhere, although we had very good intelligence saying that it was going to happen. My 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 analysis of that is, I think, in many ways, we stop paying attention. You know, we stop listening. And when you think so about... So
2: because it wasn't hot button, because it wasn't on fire, it was like, oh, we're all good. Everything's cool.
6: Exactly. And again, I'll give Putin as an example. Putin had been saying all along he wanted the former USSR to be, you know, to, to go back to its former glory. He had been talking, he had been talking smack about Ukraine for a while. He he thinks that Ukraine is beneath Russia, that they belong under the boot of Russia. He's made these statements. But How seriously did we take this, right? Even with this massive intel failure, with Hamas um, attacking Israel in over 20 different locations, 20. That is extreme on any measure for, for any measurement that exists in the world, and we're still getting information about that intelligence failure. But a lot of this is ego. Right. Because there was an assessment made that terrorism had retreated, that terrorism was not the thing to look at. Many indicators said that what we should be looking at is not global terrorism, but um, proliferation of WMD. There was some information out there that was saying that. So, you know, I I don't have the full story yet. I don't know what contributed to the intel failure, but somebody took their eye off the ball. A lot of somebodies took their eyes off the ball right? Because for more than 20 locations to be attacked in Israel, that's a lot of planning. That's a lot of chit-chat going on somewhere. Somebody's having conversations. Somebody's convening people together. So the, the massive intel failure, uh, just like with 9-11, this will be talked about and studied for a very long time because well, this is unprecedented. Before I go
2: to break and go to my panel, I got to ask you this here. Uh, we keep seeing these stories that 40 children were beheaded but I'm also hearing that that it's not being confirmed. What do you know?
6: That it's not confirmed.
2: So this, again, and and, and for people to understand, when a story like that just gets thrown out there, what it creates in the mind of people, oh, these people are so heinous, do whatever you want to them. So that's a So again... I keep we keep seeing it. And I've seen and in fact, I've seen some stories where uh, where initially journalists say, oh, they actually saw the bodies. Now, those media companies are backing off of those initial reports.
6: Right. And Roland, something you asked me earlier, it, it you know, it's. It's meant to dehumanize uh, Hamas. Obviously, what they did was disgusting and terrible, but it's not meant just to dehumanize Hamas. But when you put—when people put Hamas and all of Palestinians together, it's meant to do that, right? So it's meant to think of them as um, being—all of Palestinians, I mean, in terms of being savage, in terms of being extreme. And when you dehumanize anyone, it is a lot easier to go and kill them right? So what Hamas did was disgusting and heinous on every single level. But the one thing that I do want to say, the one thing that I know is also very important to this administration is recognizing the difference between what Hamas did and Palestinians just trying to live their lives every single day. That is a distinction that this administration is standing on, and I'm happy that they are, because it is a distinction. And for people that are saying, well, they voted them in, well, you can't call them a terrorist organization today and not yesterday. So either they are and they have been, which is to say, I'm sure there was a lot of... Yeah, they were elected in, right? They got elected. So you can't just make up that they're a terrorist organization just today, right, without following that thread. So, yes, they are technically in power, but there are a lot of everyday Palestinians who just want to live their lives, and they in no way deserve what's happening to them.
2: All right, hold tight one second. I uh, Got to go to break. We come back uh, more Dr. Nola Haynes, plus our panel as well. Um, you're watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button. Same thing you're watching on our OTT app. Support us in what we do. Send your check-in money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, Dollar Sign, RM Unfiltered, PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo is RM Unfiltered, Zale, Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at Unfiltered.com. And be sure to, of course, download the Blackstone Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV, and be sure to get a copy of my book, White Fear.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long.
9: And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
2: ...of America's making white folks lose their minds, available at bookstores nationwide. Uh, download the audio version on Audible. We'll be right back.
0: Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence.
2: White people are losing their damn minds
7: On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, you're going to learn about the silver tsunami, which means that a million people are turning 65 every day and they're going to need some kind of care. You're gonna meet two sisters whose situation with their own family led them to start a business in this industry and now they're showing others. This is our passion, our mission, our purpose. Our ministry that's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network.
3: Hello, I'm Paula J. Parker, Judy Proud on the Proud Family.
13: I am Tommy Davidson. I play Oscar
11: on Proud Family Louder and Proud. Hi, I'm Joe Marie Payton, voice of Sugar Mama on Disney's Louder and Prouder, Disney Plus. And I'm with Roland Martin on Unfiltered.
2: All right, folks, welcome back to Roller Martin Unfiltered. My panel, Uh, joining us, we have Dr. Nola Haynes, Dr. Larry J. Walker, assistant professor, University of Central Florida. Rebecca Carruthers, vice president for Election Center out of Washington, D.C. Scott Bulger, an attorney out of D.C. as well. Glad to have all three of you here. Uh, It it has been a whole lot uh, of discussion, Larry, everywhere about how people are responding. You got celebrities and organizations and people issuing statements and who do you stand with you're standing with israel or standing with the palestinians you got people who are saying how dare you not uh how you dare you not c- condemn uh, hamas how you dare how dare you not condemn israel uh, a lot of people have been talking about this here black lives matter chicago posted this uh and this was of course uh this image right here i stand with palestine uh that is all that is it and, of course, they were, people were very critical because uh, some of the uh, Hamas folks who flew in uh, to uh, a, uh, a concert there uh, flew in as paragliders. And so, so folks have found this to be extremely insensitive. They've been blasting them. Then you have the people who have been saying, well, this represents, you know, all of Black Lives Matter. Well, that's not true because the Black Lives Matter uh, grassroots uh, folks uh, issued their own statement. Uh, the Black Lives Matter Global Network. Go to my iPad, uh, where they said that uh, that uh, that BLM Chicago is now affiliated with Black Lives Matter Global Network, uh, and this is this is one of the things that happens, Larry. Uh, when uh, and this is one of the problems that Black Lives Matter has had: people again who, ha- who carry the name BLM Chicago, uh, but they don't—they're not actually part of the group. It's sort of like having a group calling themselves the NAACP chapter. They're not tied to the actual NAACP. The people are, people are blasting the entire Black Lives Matter uh, movement. You've got universities where uh, you got uh, students that are releasing statements as part of organizations. Then you got uh, folks like Bill Ackman, the billionaire, saying, oh, let's out all of these students so we don't hire them. Uh, and so you've got a lot of people, Larry, who are like, you know what, I'm not going to say a damn thing because, frankly, if I take any position, it ain't helping
6: me.
13: Yeah, that's, you made some excellent points. First of all, I, you know, I'm glad you had Dr. Haynes on I uh, follow on Twitter, so she provided some really excellent analysis on a very complex issue. And look, Roland, I worked on a, a number of issues relating to Israel, other foreign affairs issues when I worked on Capitol Hill. And as you, in your previous conversation, highlights, this is a very complex issue. And I think when it comes to the age of social media, the lesson that, a, there's a lesson a lot of people haven't learned, and it's that you can just remain silent. Not everyone has the expertise to talk about complex foreign affairs issues. And as you talked about, um, some universities have, have posted comments, obviously a lot of policymakers and, and celebrities, et cetera. And in some cases, many cases, those individuals just should just, just stay silent because they don't have an understanding of the complex issue, as you, as uh, Dr. Haynes has talked about the last several decades. But also, like I said, you can go further back than that to talk about these issues of relating to the region. The other thing I wanna talk about, Roland, you mentioned is BLM in Chicago. Uh, once again, this idea of w- to remain silent and just kind of when you're not an expert, when this is not your area or expertise, just to stay out of it and let those who who, who who study these issues relating to foreign affairs and understand the Middle East to let them have a general conversation about what's going on. The other thing I want to highlight, Roland, as relates to BMLA in, in Chicago and that and that statement they put out, it's it's it feeds the flame of right-wingers and those who are anti-black to once again give one example of, of, of an entity who puts out a statement on social media to highlight why the why you know Black Lives Matter you know the organization itself doesn't matter and you know obviously trying to assert that they want to affiliate themselves with terrorism which we know is not accurate but overall once again. This issue with is what's happening in Israel right now it is a complex issue and it needs context. And that's why I'm so you know, happy that you had Dr. Haynes on because members of the black community, in particular on social media, talk about this issue, and a lot of folks have no idea what they're talking
2: about. But the thing here, Rebecca, is that uh there are people who have been highly critical of Israel and their treatment of the Palestinian people. Uh, you have uh, folks who say, guess what? They have a they have a right. To fight back, Jimmy Carter wrote a book calling what Israel is doing to Palestinians, calling it apartheid. People took a lot of people took offense to that as well. Yield significant emotions, but I think if you strip all of that away, here is for me how you look at it: death is death, and so Hamas attacks Israel. People are at a concert. Uh, you see the stories of them storming kibbutz, uh, killing people in their homes. Um, uh, you know the videos that are being taken. And then, of course, the, how Israel responds, uh, killing uh, Palestinians. Right now, more than 2,300 people are dead. I, don't, I wouldn't be celebrating anybody or anything. Death is death. This is pain. This is suffering. Uh, and family members are having to deal with this, whether you are Palestinian or Israeli. You know, what we're
14: watching is definitely unattainable. There is so much that's happening so fast. There's so much misinformation. There's disinformation. And just to remind your viewers, this is one of the most highly concentrated areas on the planet, the most population-wise dense Um, Something else that's also an issue is that there currently isn't an ambassador to um, Israel from the United States. So that also um, hinders us from having an adequate response and actually having um, that information um, gathering that's so important, especially in the first few days of this conflict. The other issue, uh, you know, taking a step back and watching this, is it is disheartening as I'm listening to U.S. officials talk about um, what's happening and waiting to hear about the talk about peace. How do we back up? How do we move away from the precipice that we're currently at, where the whole region can devolve into further negative consequences? How do we actually just slow down, let tempers go back down in order to figure out what is the solution, what are the constructive things that can happen next? And so what I'm concerned is that in the U.S., we're playing politics with this issue, with, like you said, there are so many innocent people on all sides who are being um, unjudiciously Murdered, slaughtered, killed, um, reports of raping, re- reports of all sorts of um, uh, uh, atrocities. And I think all of us need to take a step back, let this cool down just a moment so we can figure out what is the peaceful way forward, because what's happening now is not sustainable. Regardless of how people feel the response should be, it, it, the, we, we can't do this for the next week, the next months,
2: um, the next years. We have to figure out a way forward. Uh, But the reality, uh, Scott, uh, that is uh, Israel has made it perfectly clear. Uh, They are going to destroy anybody tied to Hamas, uh, and that is actually happening. And they're leveling in any building where Hamas may be in.
8: Yeah, with with the U.S., without the U.S., so in spite of the U.S., they're going to go in and turn Gaza to to rubble. And, you know, you're you're right. Death is death. Let let me just say this, though, because I follow uh, uh, NOLA also. Hamas is not Palestine. Hamas is not Palestinians. And we we keep lumping them together, the media does, and even politicians do. And and I say that because then that leads to this question. I understand never again that Israel uses, and this is one of those never again moments in 2023, but we got to be strategic and surgical when you turn Gaza to rubble. You have innocent people there. You have women and children there. You have hostages there. How do they get out? you got to go in and find them if you can, but you've got to give them the pathway out. There are three ways out of Gaza, and I believe uh, Israel has shut down two of those three. Uh, and if they have, there's only one way. You've got to give those people time to get out if you're going to turn it to rubble. If you don't, you are doing, <laughs> if you go in indiscriminately, and say to hell with everybody and everybody, then you're just repeating this cycle of violence. I understand that Israel is going to do what they're going to do, right? And emotionally, I don't blame them. But in the end, once we turn Gaza to rubble, where do we go from there? And you see, this dialogue now is about revenge, got it. But as soon as you get through that, right, and we honor the dead and we mourn the dead, we still got a big-ass problem in the Middle East, and maybe, maybe this triggers some type of resolution. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of violence on both sides, and you're not, you can't resolve or settle a conflict as long as bombs are being dropped on all sides. And so uh, the other thing is, you know, we got to... You're critical of Israel in the U.S., right? they label you anti-Semitic. It has always bothered me that there is blame to go on both sides. There's tit for tat on both sides. But if you criticize Israel, you criticize them in any way, shape or form, uh, white America and others will label you anti-Semitic. We gotta stop that because both sides have to take some responsibility. And, And this rhetoric and the media and what have you is really harmful um, when you talk about beheading kids, because uh, President Biden said, I didn't think I'd see the day where I had, terrorists were beheading children, right? So now he's put that out there. He just ran that clip, actually. And so that's dangerous rhetoric. And we just got to get past this revenge piece and Gaza being lay- laid to rubble. And the real question we need to be talking about is twofold, and I'll end on this. Where do we go from here? Right? And how did this happen? Because Hamas may be here to have representatives who run Gaza, right? But Hamas is a terrorist organization. Those Palestinians there may have voted for them, but that doesn't make them liable for Ham- uh, Hamas's actions and brutality in what we've just observed this past week.
2: Um, uh, final comment from you, Nola, and, and that is this. Frankly, right now, ain't nobody talking about peace. At the end of the day, <laughs> right. Uh, right, right now, Nola, it is, yeah. abs- it is absolute brutal retribution, and it is war.
6: Yeah, no, on-site, like, for real. But I will say two things about diplomacy. So, um, in terms of where do the Palestinians go, there are over 100,000 100, Palestinians right now in, in U.N. shelters, but, as you noted earlier, rolling there, about 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza alone, right? So, Egypt uh, has said that they will not let Palestinians in. Now, there's, there are ongoing uh, diplomatic talks with Egypt to hopefully get them to change their minds, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. Qatar, they are also negotiating uh, to help get uh, women and, 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 and young folks out of Gaza safely. So there are diplomatic uh, efforts that are happening. Actually, right now, the secretary of state is in Israel. He's in Israel and Jordan today through the 13th. So there are diplomatic talks that are happening. Diplomacy is going to be a huge part of this. In terms of peace, Roland, as you stated, That's—if that's that's. it's not on Israel's mind, it's not going to be on the U.S.'s mind. It's a similar situation with Ukraine. If it's not on Zelensky's mind, then it's not on the U.S.'s mind. You know, we will absolutely continue to support Israel like we've always done. We have a security package on the way right now, and I'm sure Congress will probably uh, vote to have more security packages sent sent to Israel as long as this takes. And, unfortunately, this is— Right now, the policy is pretty much as long as it takes. So I know that that can sound disheartening. And in the world that I exist in, arms control and international security, the, the level of idealism exists in the diplomacy space. And because the US is not directly involved in either war, we are. It's up to what Israel wants to do and whatever Ukraine wants to do, and that really is the truth of it. As soon as there's there is a moment turning towards peace, you best believe uh, that there will be people all over that, because people are already thinking about it. They're, they're writing policies around it. There are people who are wanting peace and who are thinking about peace. But as long as Netanyahu says on site, as long as Zelensky says on site, that's what it's going to be.
2: All right. Dr. Double Haynes, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Folks, when we come back. We'll talk with the Tampa NAACP about uh police brutality uh there. Plus, in the next hour, uh the constant attacks on Vice President Kamala Harris saying, oh, she's missing. She's been working. I'm gonna unpack and deconstruct really what is at play here. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Blackstone Network.
1: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell
15: you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max Hybrid Powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. All
11: change is not growth. Right. But thoughtful change is real good fertilizer. And that's what has been so beneficial to us.
2: But you also were not afraid of the
11: pivot. Well, and I'm a black woman in business, come on, I don't care how I dress up, I don't care who I'm speaking with, I don't care what part of the world I am in. I still am a black woman in business. Being afraid of the pivot, being fearful of change, is not what got me here. Respectful of change. Respectful of pivot, yeah. Fearful? No, uh-uh, no, no.
3: On a next, A Balanced Life with Me, Dr. Jackie, we meet Ricky Fairley. She was given a death sentence by her doctor 11 years ago. But for Ricky, giving up was not an option. She declared war on her disease, turned her entire life upside down, and won the battle. I know that God left me here to do this work. And when you talk about faith, faith is what got me through. I mean, I had to relinquish my faith and, and give my life to God and say, okay, God, what have you got for me? And um, He's given my purpose. And that's why I'm here. Her amazing story of strength, balance, and survival here on A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie on Black Star Network. Coming up next on The Frequency right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard.
7: We're talking about the ride or die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong Black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like, you even hear Black women, like, aspiring to be this ride or die chick, aspiring to be this strong Black woman children
3: at their own expense. Next, on The Frequency, right here on the Black Star Network.
7: Hey, what's up? It's Sammy Roman. Hey, it's John Murray, the executive producer of the new Sherry Shepherd talk show. Hey, it's me, Sherry Shepherd, and you know what you're watching: Roland Martin, unfiltered.
2: The Tampa Police Department folks under heavy scrutiny after videos of police misconduct were released. One video shows an officer taunting black residents during a bust, and the other is that an officer suspended putting his hands on a black man's neck during an arrest. Both incidents happened last year. Joining me now from Tampa is the Hillsborough County NAACP branch president, Yvette Lewis. Yvette, uh, have y'all had conversations with the police department? What have they said?
16: Um, Basically, with the first incident, um, a veteran police officer that has been there for 10 years, they said that he was just having a bad day, the police officer was.
2: He was having a bad day. This is coming from a person with a badge and a gun where somebody could end up being killed.
16: That is correct. And so, and that came from the chief of police here. And um, the other gentleman, uh, they covered it up and hid it for so long, but they just said um, he was very remorseful and he was sorry for what he did.
2: Um, So neither one was suspended?
16: One, the second one where he was choking the guy out, uh, he got three days suspension. Um, But that's it. So let me tell you, these incidents, like you said, Roland, happened last year. They called me to put the fire out because they knew the community would be in in an outrage.
2: But why why, why did you have to put the fire out? That's their job.
16: Thank you. So, and and I refuse to accept the explanation that they gave which was one was having a bad day and the other one um it was a good arrest and so therefore everything was good and you know and these gentlemen are still on the police force and and still doing things to the community and there's a lack of distrust with what's going on
2: so no response from the mayor from the city council
16: Nothing from the mayor. The mayor has been absolutely silent. And this is the thing. The mayor is a former chief of police. And city council has not said anything. And this is the same city council three years ago who apologized to the African-American people for how they treated them back then. But yet there's nothing um, that they're doing.
2: So what's your next step?
16: The next step is definitely um, reaching out to the Department of Justice to look into this matter, to see what is going on, because this police department has a history of biking while black. Um, arresting people for just riding a bicycle and renting wildlife, Um, arresting people and putting evicting people out just for um, a simple arrest or something that uh, a police was called out to. So um, I have definitely reached out to the Department of Justice to investigate this police officer, uh, the police department, for what they're doing. All right, then. All of the police, Tampa police, that's in our area that is on these specialty squads, they don't look like us.
2: Mm hmm. All right. Well, Yvette, certainly keep us abreast of what happens next. Hopefully, you're going to get some answers uh, from the elected officials there in Tampa.
16: Thank you. I hope, to as also well. All
2: right. Mm -hmm. Thanks a bunch. Folks, we come back with voting purges in Virginia. More than 10,000 folks knocked off the rolls what's going on we'll talk with the house democratic leader we'll also talk about uh the constant now three years of stories saying vice president kamala harris she's awful she's not ready what's really going on here i'm gonna deconstruct that thing for you so you can understand what is happening you're watching roll and plus we'll also be remembering uh one of the last three uh, descendants the survivors of the tulsa race massacre he passed away at the age of 102. Remember, Uncle Rand. you're watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered on the Blackstone Network.
10: I'm Faraji Muhammad, live from L.A., right. and this is The Culture. The Culture is a two-way conversation. You and me, we talk about the stories, politics, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So join our community every day at 3 p.m. Eastern and let your voice be heard. Hey, We're all in this together, so let's talk about it and see what kind of trouble we can get into. It's the culture, weekdays at 3, only on the Black Star Network.
7: On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, you're going to learn about the silver tsunami, which means that a million people are turning 65 every day, and they're going to need some kind of care. You're gonna meet two sisters, whose situation with their own family led them to start a business in this industry, and now they're showing others. This is our passion, our mission, our purpose, our ministry. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network.
11: All change is not growth, right? but thoughtful change is real good fertilizer. And that's what has been so beneficial to us.
2: But you also were not afraid of the pivot.
11: Well, and I'm a black woman in business, come on, I don't care how I dress up. I don't care who I'm speaking with. I don't care what part of the world I am in. I still am a black woman in business. Being afraid of the pivot, being fearful of change, is not what got me here. Respectful of change. Respectful of pivot, yeah. Fearful, no, uh-uh, no.
17: Hey, what's up y'all, I'm Devon Frank.
6: I'm Dr. Robin B, pharmacist and fitness
0: coach, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
2: Early voting is underway in Virginia, but more than 10,000 Virginians were removed from the state's voter rolls because they were incorrectly listed as felons. Now there are called for the Department of Justice to investigate. Don Scott, as Virginia's House Democratic leader, he joins me to explain how uh, that many people, how this happened. So, um, Delegate Scott, what the hell is the uh, uh, Yuck administration saying?
17: Well, what they're doing, uh, as always, is they're showing how incompetent they are at this game. Part of what they're trying to do is shrink the voter rolls. They want to shrink their electorate. That has been their goal since day one. Just a few months before the election, a month before the congressional elections in 2022, they accidentally uh, processed 256,000 registered voters at the very end, right before the election, something that should have been done a long while ago. So we already know that their goal is to prevent folks from voting. This mo- this latest snafu is another attempt by them to disenfranchise voters, disproportionately disenfranchise African-American voters, and that is what they have done and that's what they have proven to do uh, every opportunity that they get. Uh, Thankfully, we have a congressional delegation, along with our state delegation, that has been calling for a a federal investigation. We're asking the U.S. attorney to take a look at this, the Department of Justice, to take a look at what they're doing here in Virginia. We have some of the most consequential elections of our generation coming up. This is the election that will decide whether women will continue to have bodily autonomy or their own reproductive health uh, in Virginia. This is the election that will determine whether we will continue to fund public schools and not throw away our public education system by a experimental lab school system that the governor wants to do. This is an election that will determine whether we will legalize marijuana in Virginia and create an adult use legalization market in Virginia. This is the election that will make sure that we continue to move forward with equity and criminal justice reforms in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Any idea who
2: those 10,000 are?
17: We don't. We don't know, and we're asking for that. They've said that there are 10,000, but we think it only disenfranchised some other number, maybe 300 people. We just don't believe them. They don't have credibility on this issue. We know for a fact we have many members in our own House of Delegates, who uh, are election deniers, and so we don't trust them, and we really need to have an outside organization come in and look over their shoulder, because this is no coincidence that these things happen well within 30 days of the election on November 7th. And this is November 7th, we will be electing all 140 members of the General Assembly, 100 in the House of Delegates, where I serve and 40 in the Senate. And so it's not a coincidence that within 30 days of the election, they're playing with the voter rolls again. Rebecca.
14: Um, Besides um, asking um, Department of Justice to come in, what is the party doing to make sure that folks are double checking their registration to make sure that they're
17: eligible to get out and vote? That's a great question. We are doing everything in our power to let the community know what is going on. We're using text messages, we're using social media, we're using our attorneys uh, to let folks know that these things are going on, that they should really be examining and making sure that they are registered to vote. We're telling them to go to the website, iwillvote.com, to make sure that they are registered to vote. They can check their voter registration there, or they can go to the Virginia Department of Elections website to verify that they are registered. They have to put their information in and they can do it easily on their cell phone or on a a laptop or other device. But we can find out within moments whether they're still registered or not because We know that they are doing everything in their power to remove them. We're going to be challenging every vote. If they try to prevent folks from voting, I still tell everybody, still go and vote. And if we have to fight to get your vote counted after the fact, even if it's a provisional ballot that you cast, the law permits us to do that to make sure that you are allowed to vote. Scott.
8: Scott Bolton here. Two things that... I'm sure your lawyers are thinking about it. Maybe you can confirm it. Of
2: course, Scott. Of course, Scott. He's an alpha man. Of course they are. But go ahead.
3: <laughs>
8: was lawyers a cap, brother? I'm sure the lawyers... No, they're
2: are not. Cap, no, they're <laughs> not. Go ahead.
17: Okay, <laughs> we brother. Not divine tonight divine fight tonight. Uh, We're not going to have this divine nine fight tonight.
8: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, so um, there are expedited FOIA requests. There is uh, temporary restraining orders, injunctive relief. Um, I hope the lawyers are looking at that because I think you can meet both of those requirements just based on the public information that I've been listening to. Uh, Are those on the table? Because that'll get you the PR and hopefully the relief that you really ultimately want to get the word out.
17: Well, you know, it was on the in the Washington Post today. It's in all of the local papers today. Uh, the, the information is getting out, and we're making sure that we're doing that. The Elias Group, you may have heard of them. They're our uh, attorneys here in the, the, for the Democratic Party of Virginia. We have a a voter protection unit, and we're doing everything in our power to make sure that we have a legal strategy that's aggressive, and if we need to litigate, we will.
8: Okay, Wynwood Island. Thank you.
13: Larry. Yeah, sure. Thanks for coming on this show. So uh, you talked about you have a in you know, a number of your co- some of your colleagues are election deniers, but we, you said you mentioned you don't have an idea who these voters are. So I'm curious. At first, what are some of your colleagues on the other side? I'll have to say, and then secondly, the reason why I'm making that point is what if happens to be some of these these uh, you know in, in individuals happen to individuals from the other party, and particularly I make that point because you mentioned they're election deniers, and there's always questions about you know Virginia and other states that it's rigged. So I did, I'm curious about what some of your colleagues, uh, your Republican colleagues would say about this issue.
17: But that's a great question. They, they hadn't said a whole lot. They've been very quiet. They've deferred uh, to the governor on this issue. They've been very quiet. And I'm always amazed the last election in 2021 when they won the majority uh, by their margin, they were, not al- they were not denied elections. If the system worked fine when they win, but when they lose, then it's something wrong with the system. So I'm not surprised that they would try to use tactics right now so they can build in some early excuses on why they should lose this election. We're going to be monitoring this very, very aggressively because we know these are the tricks they played for generations, yeah. and we will not allow it to happen in the Commonwealth of Virginia, not this time. We're on top of it. We're going to continue to monitor it very aggressively. Thank God we have a state delegation and a federal delegation that is asking and and monitoring the situation and asking for an aggressive follow-up from the U.S. attorney. Unfortunately, our attorney general here, Jason Meares, hadn't said a word about this. He's a Republican, hadn't said a word about this. He'll investigate anything that has nothing to do with, with this type of stuff outside of his purview, but he won't look at these issues that affect uh, the rights of the citizens of the, of the Commonwealth of Virginia.
2: All right. Uh, and folks, as a reminder, we're going to be uh, in Fredericksburg uh, on Monday. Uh, continue our conversation uh, with uh, House Democratic candidates there. Uh, it's community conversation in Fredericksburg. are going to be uh, right there. Zion Church of Fredericksburg beginning at 6 p.m. Eastern. Look forward, want you to pack the house out. Look forward to seeing all of you there. We, of course, were in Suffolk last night, Virginia Beach on Monday. Again, in Fredericksburg is next week, and then we're going to make our way to Petersburg and also Richmond as well. Delegate Don Scott, uh, I appreciate it. Always good to see a fellow Texas a and Aggie and Alpha Brother uh, on the show. Uh, Always leading the way, unlike Scott's campus. (laughs)
17: <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Y'all. y'all have a great night, and I appreciate y'all having me on. Let's stay. Let's stay on this game. Let's stay focused. We can win this election. We only have to turn three seats, and y'all are now speaking to the first. Op- I will have the opportunity to be the first African American ever to become speaker in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So thank y'all for
2: having me. All right, let's make it happen. All right, Don, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right, folks, don't forget in Virginia, October 16th, the voter registration deadline to vote in this year's election. Those who register after this date through Election Day can still do so and will vote using a provisional ballot. October 27th is the deadline to apply for an absentee ballot to be mailed to you. Virginians can request an absentee ballot through the mail, fax or online. November 4th, the last day of early in-person voting and deadline to apply for an absentee ballot in person. Early in-person voting. Voting will end at 5 p.m. and November 6th is the last day a voter can request an emergency absentee ballot and remember the election day is on November 7th all right folks when we come back we're going to talk about early voting in Louisiana also Carly Russell finds out her fate in Alabama over her fate, uh, fake abduction uh why the constant the constant grilling and attacks on Vice President Kamala Harris and remember uh one of the last three survivors of the tulsa race massacre who passed away were agent of 102. you're watching roland martin unfiltered on the black star network support us in what we do uh, join our Brenda funk fan club send your chicken money order to p.o box 57196 washington dc 20037-0196 cash app dollar sign rm unfiltered paypal r martin unfiltered venmo is rm unfiltered zale Roland at RolandSMartin.com Roland at RolandMartinFilter.com Be sure to download the Black Star Network app Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV We'll be right back
0: Across America BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long.
4: sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places pull up a chair take your seat the black
8: Tape. with me dr greg carr here on the black star network every week we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in join the conversation only on the black star network
3: On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, we meet Ricky Fairley. She was given a death sentence by her doctor 11 years ago. But for Ricky, giving up was not an option. She declared war on her disease, turned her entire life upside down, and won the battle. I know that God left me here to do this work. And when you talk about faith, faith is what got me through. I mean, I had to relinquish my faith then. and give my life to God and say, okay, God, what have you got for me? And um, he's given my purpose, and that's why I'm here. Her amazing story of strength, balance, and survival, here on A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie on Black Star Network.
2: When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is RM Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is Roland at RolandSMartin.com.
4: Hello, we're the Credit Fixers. I'm
2: Dr. Bernard Hodges. And I'm Dr. Terrence Ferguson. And you're tuning in to Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs> Folks, Louisiana's election takes place on Saturday. Polls will open at 7 a.m. and close at 8 p.m. You can still vote if you're in line to vote by the time the polls close. If you have not voted, be sure you head to the polls and cast your ballot. Uh, Louisiana's could elect its black first black statewide elected official since Reconstruction. of uh, significant number of black folks, 900,000 in that state. Uh, who can vote if black voters turn out in record numbers uh sean former former transportation secretary dr sean wilson could very well get into the runoff of course if he gets into the runoff uh then uh, that election will be held in november folks gonna turn out one of the things here um that just still just drives me crazy rebecca when we look at this uh is that um when we look at the states, and I'm not, it's Louisiana, frankly, Texas and Florida, we can go on and on and on. Uh, people have this assumption that because they're southern states, African Americans got no shot because they're red states. But the reality is this here, if, I, if we get our numbers, and I keep saying this, if we get our numbers up 65, 70, 75% of eligible African Americans, we can sweep elections. So literally, the power is actually in our hands.
14: You're absolutely right. I'm actually in um, Houston um, tonight. And when I even look at the population of Houston and when I think about um, the statewide um, elections in Texas, if more people in Harris County turned out to vote, then it would flip and literally change the political landscape in Texas. And what we see in Louisiana is no different. While I did notice that the numbers coming in so far is that overall the voter turnout numbers in Louisiana for this primary is down, like white folks, I think it's down 12%, and black folks is down 9%. One thing that I will say, the state of Louisiana has not done itself any um, 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 any favors by with how they do their October um, primary. It's not a set Saturday. It's not always the second Saturday of the month. Sometimes it's the third Saturday. Sometimes it's the last um, one of the last Saturdays um, in October. So even that inconsistency with how um, the local and gubernatorial primary is set up, is set up in a way that actually um, depresses um, the amount of folks who turn out to vote.
2: But the thing that I keep focusing on, Larry, you hear Rebecca say, white voters down 12, black down nine. <laughs> if they go down 12 and we remain flat or go up, we can, we can actually win. We ain't got any down when they're down.
13: Yeah, and that's a key. And it's obviously a lot of complex reasons why, you know, we see the numbers. You talked about Louisiana and some of the states. And I want to go back just a couple of years ago. We talked about Florida and obviously uh, the governor and both uh, U.S. senators are, are Republicans. You know, it's considered now a red state instead of a purple state. But a reminder, Andrew Gill- Gillum almost won the election for governorship a few years, just a few years ago. So when we talk about your point about, you know, some of these, you know, red states and if we, you know, know we're able to increase percentage wise the number of black voters, it will make a tremendous difference. And, you know, we talk about states like Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, and there are significant numbers of black people in those states. And so we have an opportunity here. But as I said, it's a complex issue. We got to make sure that we deal with, we address the issue of, you know, democratic party at the federal and state level supporting you know, black candidates, particularly black women, um, but we also have to highlight in terms of some of the missing, a lot of the misinformation that permeates throughout the country and has also impacted the black community. But we have a, a tremendous opportunity to elect black folks um, at the state and federal level in the local elections, which you talk about all the time, which is, once again, we have to get
2: folks out to vote. Scott, people keep talking about, oh, we need to get the right people in. Can't get in if folks don't vote. I give
8: up. I give up on black people voting. And you can criticize me all you want. Our futures could have changed America if we would just get out and vote. Here's a question for you, Roland, and here's a book for you. Your next book, right? Why we won't vote. Top three reasons why black Americans just won't vote. The simple process could change their lives and change their communities and their state and the country. And they just won't do it. 60 to 70 percent of us. That's easy, just won't do it. What's your top three reasons for why black people won't vote?
2: Um, I think that, um, without a doubt, um, if. Number one. No, I, I think number one is if that has not been your way of life and you've seen it uh, growing up, you likely are going to then grow up and say, I don't see it that big deal. When I see people, and Rebecca, I think you speak to when you see people who. Their parents made this a priority. Uh, Matter of fact, at the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, there's a a placard there. There's a quote from a young black girl, and it says, all I want for my 18th birthday is a voter registration card. Mm -hmm. So, So that was a, so when something was denied from us, there was a fervor to actually get it. Uh, And I think, frankly, some people, they've accepted the laziness of it, uh, and they are just, you know what, hey, I don't see this making a difference, so therefore I can sit it out. But they will complain, though. (laughs) You got two more answers. No offense, it's your show, but a couple more. Rebecca, you give one. Larry, you give one.
14: Sure. I would say anytime ballot access is determined by political parties, there becomes a political interest in who gets the access to the ballot and what actually um, lands on the ballot. And I think if political parties weren't so intricate in the um, actual balloting process, I think we would see more people actually turning out to vote. Because once again, it's not always in either parties or even some of the third parties' best interests to actually get that 80 90%, 95% turnout.
2: Larry. So,
13: well, yeah, rolling the point I want to make into what Scott says is I think Black folks suffer from political exhaustion. Also, listen, you know, it, it, we talk about all, the, all these issues relating, you know, states taking steps to infringe on the rights of Black folks, and obviously the work the DOJ has been doing the last couple of years among some of the civil rights organizations, legal defense fund, etc. But let's remember, you know, what Jim Crow ended in 1965, and in sets since then, particularly we happened we have in 2013 the Supreme Court. Scott knows that. Republicans have consistently since for, you know, if we go back, you know, pre-Jim Crow to make sure that black folks, A, are not even seen as U.S. citizens. That's first of all. And then second of all, have, have, have taking, have spent billions of dollars to make sure that we can't vote. That literacy text, gra- uh, literacy tests, grandfather clauses, we have, in order to context this, this conversation, we have to talk about the historical efforts to wear black folks down. And I think that, I use the term political exhaustion, Scott. And I think that Black folks are just really tired <laughs> um, in terms of tr- constantly trying to fight for basic rights as U.S. citizens. Yeah,
8: you know, I think... I won't tell you all three of you all are wrong, because I would never do that, although I tell Roland he was wrong. <laughs> I think it's voter disillusionment. And maybe you capture that. Just completely disillusioned. Middle class, Black underclass, poor folks, and some wealthy Black people just completely disillusioned with the political discourse and whether it's really going to make a difference in their day-to-day life. They just don't believe it. And if you didn't grow up voting, I'll be honest with you, it's easy to get disillusioned. I hope your book, Roland, also covers how we fix this problem, because I got to tell you, in 2043, we're going to be the majority of Americans, at least people of color will be. And if we don't vote, it won't make a damn bit of difference whether we're a country of color or not. Because voter suppression and black and brown disillusionment, voters, you know, are going to keep us oppressed for the for an additional at least twenty years or more. Just my best thoughts on
2: it. Oh well, first of all, I'm trying to understand why you're trying to get me to write a book when you can write it. All right, y'all. Um, <laughs> so, let, let me just... You're a better writer than me. <laughs> well, as, as alphas are typically better at most things than capers. All right, y'all. Uh, oh, Car- you know, uh, Carly you know, Russell.
8: You cannot give him a compliment.
2: What?
14: Well, I'm working on a book, so if I'm working on a book as busy as I am, you could work work on a book too. You're absolutely right,
13: hey, about Scott, that. Scott. Scott, Scott, okay. Scott. Listen, you know I'm a pretty good writer, and also Alpha awesome, Man, I write, I write with you. Don't worry about it. All right,
2: sounds good. <laughs> as usually, Alpha got a carry Kappa. All right, y'all. Uh, uh, Carly I'm Russell, guilty. Carly <laughs> Russell, y'all uh, found guilty. Uh, what I don't understand is why the hell was she plead not, not guilty? Cause your ass was guilty. And so she pled not guilty. The judge found her guilty, recommended one year in jail, a seventeen thousand eight hundred seventy-four dollars in restitution. He also recommended two fines of eight hundred and thirty-one dollars each. Uh, that was no jury trial there as well. Uh, Scott, you're a lawyer. I'm sorry, dude. Can you explain why are her attorneys appealing?
8: Well, what was her... It, it depends on what her defense
2: was. She's free to plead not guilty. She was found guilty of faking her own abduction. <laughs> and then reporting... They're making a
8: false police
2: report. Now, right, so she, pled, so she pled not guilty. The judge yeah. found her guilty. Now her attorneys are appealing.
8: She's got a right to do that, and they put the government to their proof. I actually thought... They were going to plead uh, not guilty by reason of insanity, even as a misdemeanor case, and put on some type of mental illness piece that would have gotten her less than a year, even if she did get found guilty. And they didn't do any of that. So, you know, a lot of times clients will drive the defense. They always drive the defense whether they can win or not. It's not the lawyer saying, okay,
2: you need to plead guilty or not guilty. So here's what the attorney said. Her legal team disagrees with jail time for a Class A misdemeanor, uh, especially when it's her first offense. Uh, Quote, if you can find where someone was put in jail for that, bring the file to me and I'll look at it. Generally, they're not put in jail. Restitution, we don't disagree with that, but to lock her up and put her in jail, we disagree with. Um, But look, look, here's the thing that I say all the time to people, all the time. Uh, Rebecca, when you choose to do something and you're now going into the legal system, you don't get to, say Burger King, you can't have it your way. At the end of the day, judges consent you. they got wide discretion. She pissed a lot of people off uh, with this abduction uh, and, and, and that's the deal here. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, I mean, I get it. Yeah, you got a right to appeal. It's a little hard what you think. What, what's your appeal? I ain't do it?
8: Well, no, you put the government to their proof. You don't have to, the defendant doesn't have to say anything. And so for whatever reason, you can try that bench trial. It only took a couple hours, and you put the government to their proof. What's the government going to prove beyond a reasonable doubt? Even though that's probably the weakest approach, that's what they did. I will say this: as a first offense, if this if this case wasn't a press case, she would have been found guilty, or she would have pled out, got a plea agreement, paid the fine, paid restitution, and kept it moving. Because it was a press case and embarrassed Alabama officials, now all eyes are on her, and she was found guilty. Did she get sentenced yet? I don't know. They asked for a year, but. Uh, she shouldn't go
2: to jail for a first Right. Thing, I mean, it was... I she mean, ought to get some I mental mean, health counseling. Rebecca, listen, it, it was... Look, it was very public. Uh, there were a lot of people who were saying they had never searched for a black woman. People went down there looking for her. Uh, all of a sudden, resources were, were pulled. So, bottom line is, her fake abduction caused a lot of consternation for a lot of people in Alabama and elsewhere.
14: Yeah, absolutely. Look, let's not blame this on mental health. I'm going to look directly in the camera. I don't know if Carly's watching, but did many other young ladies. If he don't Ooh. want you, let him go. You don't have to get out here and embarrass yourself, embarrass your family, embarrass your community. You don't have to do any of those things. You could just let him go and then move on to the next one. Is, is that was about Hold on, was it about, it up, it was it about him?
2: You know, oh, wait, wait, wait. You know you don't know? No, no, was it about Uh-oh. him cuz he was he was riding he was riding with her through the whole abduction. Then when the truth came out, he yeah. was like, what the hell? Yeah. He was
14: like, I don't know her. I don't know who she is. Look, I mean, there was many reports online that was suggesting that part of what happened was there was an issue between her and her boyfriend. But none of that was confirmed, though. Right. It was. That's why I'm saying that was information. N- that
2: no, was no, 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 no. no hold on, hold on, no, no. That's what people were talking about. Information and reports are... <laughs> I always look at what's the source. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the source was on that. So a bunch of folk talking is one thing, credible information is another
14: absolutely and none of this was confirmed but it's also why i don't want to lean in and say oh well maybe this is a mental health issue i agree we don't know that either i agree i agree
2: because here's the deal no 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 no. hold on scott scott calm down no scott scott no she didn't scott no she didn't larry some folks no scott
4: scott
0: bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022
2: It was nothing, Scott, be, Scott, calm your ass, ass down. It was crazy. Some folk it do some dumb miraculous. shit, Larry. Some folk do some yeah, dumb shit.
13: Yeah, that's that's keeping it 100 in this conversation. So listen, this is an unfortunate situation all the way around. Look, listen, we talk about black folks, particularly black women go missing. You know, we have black and missing. You've had them all rolling. Look, disproportionately, when black folks disappear, no one pays attention. And that's why Mm -hmm. what California did with the new Ebony Alert is so important, because disproportionately, once again, we go missing, particularly black women. No one pays attention. No one cares. This story blew up, got national attention. Black folks are all over social media. Like you said, black folks are willing to travel (laughs) to to help look for this sister. And then, then we come to find out it's a hoax. So listen, often when people do crazy things, they're tired of mental health. Listen, and we often know people who have mental yeah. illness you would never even know never about real. it. <laughs> so let's, let's be clear about that. The bottom line is, she made a really bad decision, and it will harm her for the rest of her life. And regardless of what you do, you can always Google her name, and it will, this story will always come up. And, and so just did and, damage them to herself.
2: And, and just let me remind some people, it was a white woman in California. Go to my iPad. Her name is Sherry Papini. Guess what? She faked her abduction, and she was sitting here laid up with her boyfriend hundreds of miles away while folks were looking for her, uh, and uh, they were looking for her for a long time. Guess what? Sent her ass to prison for 18 months. So I know folk might say, oh, man, it's a black woman. No, the white woman went to jail for faking her abduction, uh, and so that's what happens. All right, y'all. I got to go to break. We come back. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. A consistent thing that they've been attacking her with for three years. Two new articles out saying the same damn thing. I got to deal with this, y'all. We come back on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Blackstone Network.
3: Coming up next on the Frequency, right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard.
7: We're talking about the ride-or-die chick, we're breaking it down, the stereotype of the strong Black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor, like you even hear Black women like aspiring to be this ride-or-die chick, aspiring to be the strong Black woman trophy at their own
3: expense. Next on the Frequency, right here on the Black Star Network. On the next Get
7: Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, you're going to learn about the silver tsunami, which means that a million people are turning 65 every day and they're going to need some kind of care. You're gonna meet two sisters whose situation with their own family led them to start a business in this industry and now they're showing others. This is our passion, our mission, our purpose our ministry that's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network.
11: All change right. is not growth. Right. But thoughtful change is real good fertilizer. And that's what has been so beneficial to us.
2: But you also were not afraid of
11: the kidney. Well, and I'm a black woman in business. Come on. I don't care how I dress up. I don't care who I'm speaking with. I don't care what part of the world I am in. I still am a black woman in business. Being afraid of the pivot, being fearful of change is not what got me here. Respectful of change. Respectful of pivot. Yeah. Fearful? No. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. no.
17: Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Devon Franklin. It is always a pleasure to be in the house. You are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay right here.
2: Welcome back to Roland Martin unfiltered on the Black Start Network uh, For the last three years uh, We have seen story after story after story on Vice President Kamala Harris. We have seen stories, folks talking about, oh, how she's unprepared, how she's not ready, how she's, I mean, just you name it. All of these different stories. Uh, Staff overhaul, tension, and oh, people leaving, and oh, she's not up to the task, and what does she really believe in, and really what she's thinking. I mean, we can go down the ladder. So this week... Two more stories, we're done. Go to my iPad. This is in the New York Times. Uh, This brother, the New York Times, the story is called In Search of Kamala Harris. After nearly three years, the vice president is still struggling to make the case for herself and feels she shouldn't have to. The author, uh, as you see here, is uh, a Steve W. Herndon. Uh, He's a brother uh, who, with the New York Times, and so that's his story on her. And so then uh, there's another story uh, that was done on her. This time uh, is uh, this one here. It's in uh, The Atlantic. Go to my iPad. It's called The Kamala Harris Problem. And so uh, in this particular article here, uh, again, it lays out, again, in terms of what the problem is. And so when you read and imagine even in this story right here, Uh, It lays out all of these different stories uh, right here uh, in the paragraph. But after nearly three years in office, the symbolic fact of Harris's position has proved more resonant than anything she's actually done with it. From almost the beginning, Harris's vice presidency has unfolded in a series of brutal headlines, exasperation and dysfunction. Inside Kamala Harris's frustrating start as vice president, a Kamala Harris staff exodus reignites questions about her leadership style. New book says Biden called Harris a work in progress. Kamala Harris is trying to define her vice presidency. Even her allies are tired of waiting. And it goes on and on and on and on. There have been story after story after story after story. Let me explain something to y'all. How many stories did y'all see on Mike Pence as vice president to Donald Trump? I'll wait. How many stories did y'all see about Joe Biden when he was Obama's vice president? I'll wait. How many stories did you see about Dick Cheney and George W. Bush? How many stories did you actually see Al Gore as the vice president to Bill Clinton. George H.W. Bush to the vice president of Ronald Reagan. Uh, Hey, uh, Walter Mondale, the vice president to Jimmy Carter. We killed Spiro T. Agnew, the vice president to Nixon. You saw more stories on him when he resigned and then later was found guilty uh, of corruption. So bottom line, y'all, hell, when LBJ was vice president uh, to Kennedy, it's not like you saw a bunch of stories there. So what am I trying to get to? Don't nobody give a damn about the vice president. Everybody knows the role of the vice president of the United States. What do they say? is to attend funerals and to cut ribbons. The focus is on the president. I'll give you a perfect example. When Biden came out the other day to talk about what's happening uh, with uh, Israel, who was he standing with? Blinking the Secretary of State, Kamala Harris vice president. The reality is we have seen more of Vice President Kamala Harris. We've heard her speak more. Be involved in more things publicly than we ever have any other vice president. And so, when you read these stories, I mean, I, I just sit here and I just go, "What, what the hell are y'all talking about?" Uh, and so, uh, right here, uh, the, in this story about uh, Herndon, oh, how uh, Harris, uh, this is the this is the opening. All the conditions seem right for a chance to reset the narrative. Go to my iPad. Really? The Munich Sec- the Munich Security conference in February L- y'all what nobody paying attention to that damn conference In uh, de- what nobody in this country we focus on the president and then you go through here you talk about oh how well you know she didn't really. Get applause. It was polite applause. Then they go through here, and they talked about her being a rising star uh, with an inside track to be the next Democratic presidential nominee. No, she wasn't. Vice President Kamala Harris, excuse me, Vice President Kamala Harris as senator had no inside track to be the next nominee. She had to run like everybody else. And then the story talks about a disappointing 2020 campaign, and it was. It was. They made some blunders in the campaign. But then when you go through this article here, they go back to M- Munich, and then they go on about, oh, how Biden and Harris should be doing a lot better, and the polling numbers, and all different things along those lines. And uh, I love this here. In interviews with more than 75 people in the vice president's orbit, there's little agreement about Harris at all, except an acknowledgment that she has a public perception problem, a self-fulfilling spiral of bad press and bad polls, compounded by the realities of racism and sexism. Duh. Duh. So you go through the article, and you see more stuff. You see the attacks on her by Nikki Haley. And then you see the more attacks. And then you see all of these stories, the case for Biden dropped Kamala Harris, all all this sort of nonsense. And then, of course, when you have fellow Democrats who Uh, In the case of C. Elizabeth Warren, who did not want to speak affirmatively about Harris being the nominee, and then how she called twice to apologize, Harris wouldn't take her phone calls. When Nancy Pelosi uh, went on and and didn't really want to answer the question, uh, when some other candidates did not want to answer the question, we can go on and on and on, these things laid out. And and so they interview some African Americans in this story, and and then you go on here. And so I love this one here. I called top Democratic pollsters to gauge whether a Harris-led party kept them up at night. I talked with members of Biden's vice presidential selection committee to ask the question I've always wanted to know the answer to. Was Kamala Harris really chosen as a running mate because she had the right identity at the right time, the highest profile diversity hire in America? Here's why. That is a bullshit-ass question from this brother. I'm going to roll y'all back to 2008. Do y'all remember... The black man with a sunny, uh, with a funny sounding name? Do y'all remember what they said in 2008? <sighs> Obama, he can't, he can't pick a woman. America, ooh, America not ready. For a black man and a white woman, they can, a, a, a black man and a woman to be the president and the vice president. Ooh no, America ain't ready for that. So what if they say, oh, you know what? <sighs> if Obama gonna win, he gonna have to get, He gonna have to pick an old white man. He need an old white man to go talk to the white people in the Rust Belt states. So he need a white man to go talk to the people in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa and Illinois and Ohio. He going to need a white man to go talk to the folk in the South. Am I the only person who remembers that? Am I the only person? Oh, Obama—he ain't got no experience on the national stage. So who? Guess what? He gonna have to pick a white man with some significant foreign policy experience. Hmm. Joe Biden sits on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee with Obama. You know what? That's a great pick. Ooh, we got an old white guy who's from Scranton, Pennsylvania who's got foreign policy experience, and then the old white guy can make all the white folk comfortable with the black guy with the funny name being president. Now, y'all notice, don't nobody ever call Biden a diversity pick. I hope y'all understanding what I'm breaking down here. Nobody calls Biden a diversity pick, even though that's exactly what Biden was. Y'all notice that any time it's somebody black or Latino, it's, ooh, are you a diversity pick? But did not nobody ask the question about picking the white old man as the vice president about being a diversity pick? Let let me continue. And so you see the article here. In nearly three years in office, Harris has stood dutifully by Biden's side. But in terms of her own political profile, she has remained a vacuum of negative space, a vessel for supporters and detractors to feel as they choose, not least because she refuses to do so herself. Uh Uh-huh. And then she's quoted in here. And then... They talk about how she like, look, I ain't trying to find my stuff. Uh, And then when someone asked, what does Vice President Kamala Harris bring to the ticket? What is that clear answer I asked? Her team made clear it would be my final question. Were you in this room of 2,000 people, she asked? I nodded. Did you see them cheering and standing? Yes, that's what I say. She stood up and walked out of the room. You further go into this story. And you hear them talking about when she ran for president and when she got attacked uh, by Tulsi Gabbard uh, for her criminal justice program and and when she was the vice president and all of that. And let me be perfectly clear, that was her biggest mistake. And I told her and her people that when she was running. I literally said, publicly and privately, y'all know I ain't got a problem saying stuff publicly. I said vice, I said then Senator Kamala Harris, needs to define her law enforcement career because we were running in a period where people had a different view of somebody who had been in law enforcement. It took her campaign six months to release her criminal justice profile. She was being attacked early on because she was a prosecutor. That was one of the biggest mistakes that her campaign made. One of the other big mistakes that her campaign made was that when she became United States Senator, she did not lock down black people. Follow me what I'm saying. I said then, God rest his soul, to Tyrone Gale, who was her, one of her press people. I said, Tyrone, y'all running around doing all this white media. She, she, she should be locking down black media. I said, look, she's going to run for president in 2020. Uh, uh, Guess what? I said, Cory Booker going to be run for president as well. Cory Booker and Colin Harris, both of them did not do what I said they should have been doing. They should have been on black radio every three months talking about what was going on. Obama wasn't doing a lot of interviews with black radio. I had to call them out for him, for him to do his first interview 18 months after he had been elected. Sure did. Got the emails to prove it. So that was a mistake. She didn't do my TV One show until she was United States senator for nine months. I had to cuss out Tyrone when she was on some other MSNBC show. I said, damn that, bro, what you doing? Here's why I'm saying that. You got to shore up your black base. So although she was an African-American woman, although she was not United state senator, a bunch of black folks had never heard of Kamala Harris. So had she actually done more black radio, done black media, she would have shored up her base, then would have had that base because they would have been hearing from her on a regular basis. I literally had Michael Steele, the chairman the Michael Steele, the chair of the Republican National Committee, accepted more of my invitations to come on my Tom the Morning Show segment than Kamala Harris and Cory Booker did combined. That was a mistake. But let me tell y'all, here's the deal, though. When she drops out, I dare say, between her dropping out and getting the nomination, and I got, she did my, my, this show, more, more, combined more than she did with a TV One show uh, and this one when she was in the campaign. Why? Because she wanted to be the nominee. And you know who I credit for that? Sabrina Singh, who was one of her press people because she understood. I was communicating with her a lot because she understood where she needed to be. So when you read all of these stories, you just need to understand what is going on here. All of these stories about how, what she's not doing and what she should be doing, uh, and and how she needs to be defining herself and how she needs to be uh, more involved. in this story here, uh, they, they have in this story here, uh, they talk about how, you know, it was Gwen Eiffel who name-checked her on appearance on David Letterman, uh, and they talk about how they call her the female Barack Obama. See, that's part of the problem right there. Kamala Harris was never the female Barack Obama. Different circumstances. In fact, when you read the article right here, uh, the writer talks about uh, what she did and what she didn't do, how she didn't have much of a legislative uh, background uh, and how she did not have a history of passing a whole bunch of bills and things along those lines. Uh, And so when you're reading this article, uh, he lays it in here. And of course, I had to start laughing uh, when I was uh, reading the article. I really did start laughing because they talked about uh, how all the different things that Obama did uh, when he was uh, in the legislature. Uh, but y'all, let's be real. I was there. Obama wasn't doing those things. It was Senate President Emil Jones. Senate President Emil Jones told a lot of people, "Take your name off the bills. Put Obama's name on the bills." That's why Rebecca Crowley is laughing right now because she know I ain't lying. Uh, and so, because Obama went to Emil Jones and said, uh, "Emil, you can make the United, you can make the next United States senator." Do y'all know why? Because Senate. President Emil Jones in Illinois, he wouldn't get no respect. Do you know who was getting respect in Illinois? Governor, excuse me, Mayor Daley, Governor Rob Lagovich, as well as Mike Madigan, who was Speaker of the House. So Emil Jones, uh, African-American Senate President, was getting no respect from the white folks in in Illinois. So Obama saw the opening, went to him, appealed to his ego, and Emil was like, you're right. We're going to make him the next United States Senator. That's why Obama got all those bigos passed in a year and a half. It wasn't because he was some brilliant legislator. Because Emil Jones knew he needed a record to run on. Just so y'all understand what happens when you have context when writing these stories. So, I'm sitting here reading these stories, and again, uh, the same writer, this brother, he talks with um, a particular, so he's asking uh, her all of these different questions and wants her uh, to be speaking on the record. He talks to a a fundraiser saying how all these other people uh, are reaching out to him and how they are uh, raising money and how they are doing all of these different things, but uh, Kamala Harris is not doing any of those things. Let me explain something to y'all. Anybody knows... Politics, Kamala Harris can't do that because she's the vice president. If Kamala Harris was sitting here assembling her own coterie of donors, folks would be saying, what you doing? Your job is support Joe Biden. Well y'all understand-
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long.
2: When you are the Vice President of the United States, do you know what your job is? Yes, Mr. President, where do you want me to go? Yes, Mr. President, I'll do that. Yes, Mr. President, I'll give that speech. Do you know who did that? Joe Biden. When he was President Obama's Vice President, he was number two. Everybody knows you ain't running the show when you're the number two. You have to defer to the leader. That's why you're there. So all of these stories demanding that Vice President Kamala Harris create her own team and she should be out there fundraising, she literally can't. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. There are some people on Team Biden who needs to keep her in place. Let me be real clear. Folk are threatened because she's 59 years old. Oh, I, I, I see, I'm going to go ahead and say what other people cannot say. There's no doubt in my mind that there are some people in the orbit of Joe Biden who played a role in a lot of those stories being put out. In fact, in one of these articles, there's a staffer of the vice presidents who criticized the amount of time that she spends on her hair and her clothes. She a woman. She a black woman. Okay? Okay. It ain't, like in one of the articles, she gets to just jump up, take a shower, throw some clothes on, walk out the door. Hello? That's called self-sabotage on inside your own team. So I need y'all to understand something. I need y'all, when y'all reading these stories, you got to be asking yourself the question, why do I keep seeing all these same stories? What is actually going on here? Yes, I know Joe Biden is old. I know he's, and people are like, well, could she be the next in line? Guess what? Ain't nobody asking about the number three in line. Oh, by the way, who's the number three to the presidency? The Speaker of the House? Hell, we ain't even got one right now. I'm saying all of this because you need to understand motive. What you need to understand is there are forces at play in the Democratic Party who do not want Vice President Kamala Harris to be the potential nominee come 2028. Win or lose in 2024. Oh, I'm telling you right now, there are donors, there are activists, there are, uh, there are consultants who are sitting here going, we got our eyes on some other people. Whitmer in Michigan, the governor of Pennsylvania, Pete Buttigieg, who tried secretary, Gavin Newsom in San Francisco, it's a, excuse me, in California. It's a whole bunch of folks who got their eyes on the White House, and they see Kamala Harris as an impediment to their guy or their gal being the next star of the Democratic Party. So I need y'all to understand when you see these stories. So here, to me, is a mistake that the Harris people... Are actually making what has happened is if you keep seeing these stories and the headline ends up being and I'm gonna go back to it this is the New York Times headline is in search of Kamala Harris they've already decided what the story is. So you're giving all these people access to you and it's the same story. The other story that came from the Atlantic. Again, this is the headline, the Kamala Harris problem. Look at the photo right there. Do you know what you don't see in these stories? You don't see them talking about the work that she's doing when it comes to black maternal health. You don't see them in these stories talking about how she's proactively engaging black men and others, which is a problem for the Democratic Party. What you don't see is them writing in all of these stories the actual work that she's doing, because what you see the narrative is, she's never at work, she's never at work, she's never at work, she's never at work. Even though there are the photos, there are all kind of video available, even including this week when she was sitting next to Vice President, next to President uh, Biden in the Situation Room uh, as they were uh, looking at what was happening uh, in Israel. You're not going to see them talking about that. You're not going to see them talking about those different things because that doesn't help the narrative of the folks who are being set. See, this right here, that's what VPs do. They stand back, and they support the president. So for you to understand, so what then happens? Every time one of these stories is written, all of a sudden, the public perception, if I go back to one of the stories, what is she going to do to change the public perception? Well, you're the one writing the story. So if your story is establishing that she is a problem, if your story is establishing that, oh, she can't figure out who she is, then guess what? It's a problem. Let me take y'all back to Obama and Joe Biden. Let let me be real clear. When Obama was running for, when he was running for the United States for the State Senate, Obama supported gay marriage. But then when he chose to run for the United States Senate, he knew he couldn't be a supporter of gay marriage. Because he knew that wasn't a a winning strategy then. So guess what? He stood before the debates and talked about how he believed marriage between a man and a woman. Obama never believed that. He never did. But he knew he had to say it. In order to run. On the same stage Hillary said it, she didn't believe it. On the same stage Joe Biden said it, he didn't believe it. But they knew they had to say it because the polling data was clear where the voters were. So what happened in the term? Obama still wouldn't support same-sex marriage. But it was Joe Biden who went on meet the press. Obama was pissed because he felt that Biden got in front of his skis. Biden actually was the one who spoke out publicly in favor of same-sex marriage, which then forced Obama to go do an interview with Robin Roberts and affirming his support of it. And guess what happened? The polling had already changed. So it was now safe to support same-sex marriage because it wasn't a political liability. These are facts. I remember going on CNN and they were like, Roland, Obama's evolved. I was like, no, he didn't. Obama evolved, evolved, and he evolved back. I'm just stating fact, y'all. Obama literally signed a questionnaire from an LGBT group when he was running for state senator saying that he affirmed same-sex marriage. He later changed his position. These are facts. So I'm not sitting here, oh, my God, rolling you out in Obama. No, that's actually what happened. I'm just simply not living in la-la land and being delusional about what actually happened. So why am I saying all of that? If you read all of these articles and if you see how they are asking, well, what's Kamala Harris' position on this, this position on that? She can't say it because she cannot be in opposition to the president. So when you're the vice president, you actually can't give your own opinion. You can't define yourself because when you're the vice president of the United States, you are defined by the president. You can be steadfast in disagreement with the president, but you got to support him. You know who knows that? Joe Biden. He was trying to give, a, he was trying to give Obama advice when it came to uh, the Member Disabilities Act uh, and also the issue of birth control. Remember the nuns and that sort of on. Biden knew where the Catholic folks were going to stand because he's Catholic. Biden, Obama had a different position. He gave us advice, but once the president made his decision... He had to go with it. That's what Kamala Harris is. So the problem is all of these stories are trying to get Kamala Harris to say or do something that separates her from Biden and she can't. Vice President Kamala Harris will never be free to be who she is until she's no longer playing second fiddle to Biden. Now, If Biden and Harris wins in 2024, then by the second year, she then gets to get more freedom. Why? Because she has to position herself for her own campaign in 2028. Biden knows that, and so he's going to have to go ahead and do your thing, but because she still is going to be head of the Senate, and she has to still make decisions. She still has to be marching in lockstep with the president. So when y'all see all of these stories attacking her, you need to understand there's a motive behind it, and here's the last point, which arguably I think is the most important point. America is a sexist country. America, including women in America, have a problem with a woman being president. And so the constant attacks on Vice President Kamala Harris is the fact that she's also a woman. Yes, we've had a female Speaker of the House, but this is the first female vice president. Wayne never had a female president. Israel has had a female leader. Pakistan had a female leader. Germany has had a female leader. India has had a female leader. The Philippines have had, has had a female leader. Liberia has had a female leader. The United States has never had one. And so a lot of these questions, is she ready? Can she do the job? Is she up to the task? The reality is, it's also a function of her gender. And so you need to understand when you read these stories, you have to understand framing. When I see a story. I understand what I'm saying right here. This is the Atlantic story. Few people seem to think she's ready to be president. Why? Shall I take y'all back to Hillary Clinton and people saying that no woman or no person has ever been that ready to be president and there were still people saying she can't. Oh, let me remind y'all, how many of y'all remember I'm sure Scott, Rebecca, and Larry remembers Joe Biden. Oh my God, Joe Biden could never be president. He's a buffoon, he's a gaffe machine. He makes too many mistakes. He says crazy stuff, he plagiarizes y'all remember all of those things that were said about Joe Biden when he was vice president? They said, Joe, just move, go on out and just move on out and just retire and go do a think tank and make you some money. You'll never be president. Y'all, Joe Biden been trying to be president in the United States since he was 30 years old. And guess what he is right now? He's the president. He was always going to run for a second term. So here's what I think the Harris people should do. The Harris people should stop trying to impress national media national white media look you ain't gonna get a fair shake what they should be doing is spend their time talking to columnists at major newspapers, giving them some face time that they never actually get. I guarantee you the kind of columns is going to be a lot different than what you're seeing in these stories. Stop giving these reporters uh, you know, four or five, six interviews because you see what's actually going to be here. Also, force them to actually look at the policies that you're doing. Force them to actually cover it. If you actually read both of these stories, you're not going to actually see anything in them talking about the very policy things she has been involved in because that's not what the goal is. But most importantly, they should have the vice president blanketing black media. This summer, was a great thing that they actually did. You know what they did this summer? She was speaking at all different conferences. She spoke to the Deltas. She spoke to, uh, I think to the AKs, uh, no, no, the AKAs too, but AKs next year. Spoke to the Deltas. She was speaking uh, to different groups. She should They should have had her at the National Association of Black Journalists, which was in Birmingham, talking about the Alabama redistricting case. She should have had her also at the Alpha Convention talking to brothers in the Kappa Convention in Tampa because they got a black male problem. They missed a boat on that one. They should say, if there's a national black convention, the vice president is going to be at every single one of them, speaking at every single one of them. She should be at the national black NBA convention. She should be at the National Medical Association, the National Bar Association, every single one, because guess what? You have to frame yourself. They are trying to hope that doing these big national stories will reframe who she is, y'all, that ain't happening. It's the wrong strategy. Rebecca, your thoughts.
14: Look, I think you summed it up well. Uh, when we started to see um, these reports coming out, especially in a lot of the Washington, D.C. area um, papers, um, we knew it was coming from inside the house. We knew that it was friendly fire. We knew it was folks um, on the Democratic side who were jockeying for a position after Biden is no longer the president. Um, you know, some of this is kitchen table So I'll just keep it out, do the non-kitchen table talk. Um, I mean, there were certain people's fingerprints that we saw all over it. Um, there's people on the, you know, before my um, current job, there are people who I've worked with on uh, the Democratic side for many years, decades. And I recognize when they're pushing certain things in the press. And that's what I recognized when I saw um, some of those initial um, uh, stories about her. They wanted her to be the angry black bitch so bad. And that's not who Kamala is, isn't who she is as vice president and so because she isn't the angry black bitch now they have to figure out other ways to disqualify her and especially when we see this recurring cadence about joe biden's age it's not about joe biden but it is a soft whistle for people to understand hey if he's too old if he's too frail if he isn't mentally aware that means that kamala is the one who's really um pushing all of the buttons over at the White House, that's what that ageism story with Biden is all about. It was never about him or his age, but it was more of, do we really want Kamala Harris as the next leader of the Democratic Party?
13: Larry, so I think there are a couple things that you know, based on the points that you made, is that what Vice President Harris is dealing with is this, generally society. They don't want black women to be great. <laughs> And you talk about the intersection of racism and sexism, which it, which it is. Also, you look at her, her resume. is impeccable. You know, uh, attorney general in the state of California, only the second black woman ever elected to the uh, U.S. Senate after Carol, Carol Mosey Braun and the first woman and the first black woman to ever be VP. Her credentials speak for themselves. But once again, in our society, as you highlight it, and you know, we talk about this, she shattered the glass ceiling in many respects. And so she's the second most powerful person in the world. And there are a lot of people, and not just people outside of our community, some folks in our community, they just, they can't handle that. Um, this whole story about particularly the last couple of days about her hair and her, and her clothes and things like that, this is frivolous. We're dealing with making sure we're maintaining our democracy and supporting Americans to make sure they have food on the table. And so if she wasn't properly prepared and came out, we already know how that story would go. So we have to focus on, on, on the issues that are important. Once again, she is more qualified than the majority of members in the House and Senate <laughs> who have been there for years. Her, her credentials speak for herself. It is unfortunate. But once again, Roland, I agree with you in terms of things. she needs to go to black media. She needs to continue to talk about talk to black organizations and entities to talk about the things the Biden administration has done in terms of policy and infrastructure bill how DOJ is taking on a civil rights um, division, has taken on a lot of these corrections offices and police departments. She needs to highlight these issues. And also, once again, it's part of our lived experience. So when we see her, we see ourselves.
2: Scott, before I go on that point that Larry just said, absolutely, one of the greatest mistakes of the Biden-Harris administration had they have not been trumpeting the amazing work of the Civil Rights Division and holding cops accountable and holding jailers and wardens accountable and the prosecution of hate crimes. That's what they should be touting. But Scott, I'm going to read this piece of this Atlantic story. To me, again, this is just the dumb bullshit that you see in these stories. In the first year of his presidency, Biden did little to present Harris as essential to the administration. Neither did the Democratic Party more broadly. Indeed, there was a sense that Harris might be a liability more than anything else. Less than two weeks into office, Harris appeared on a West Virginia news station to pitch the Biden administration's coronavirus stimulus package, which Joe Manchin, the state's conservative Democratic senator, was not yet sold on. In an interview on the same station the next day, Manchin said he was shocked and Harris had given him no notice of the appearance. I couldn't believe it. That's not the way of working together. Later that year, as my colleague Franklin Ford has reported, Biden invited Manchin to the Oval Office to discuss the stimulus package. Harris was there initially, but after pleasantries was sent on her way. Biden had once said that Harris would be the last voice in the room during important conversations, not this time. First, Scott, here's why this paragraph is completely bullshit. If anybody goes back to the first year, when you saw Biden speak, he often had her speak first, then he spoke. That was one. Two, she doesn't do that interview unless it was cleared with the White House Communications Office. Her communications staff ain't out there just freelancing on their own. Three, this was being Joe Manchin being a pissant, as if you got to get my permission to do interviews in my state. That's bullshit. And so, four, when Manchin met with him, Biden served in the Senate all those years. She wasn't even there that long. And so Biden meeting with Manchin by himself is no shock because he has a relationship with her. So when you see the whole deal here, but after pleasantries, she was sent on her way right there bed freight that, that line right there alone cast it as, oh, she was discarded. Oh, she'll be the last person in the room. Everybody knows what the phrase the last person in the room means. When I'm making decisions, I'm factoring your advice and counsel in. It doesn't mean she's going to be sitting in on every conversation of the president. That did not happen with Cheney and Bush, did not happen with Bush and Reagan, Gore and Clinton, Biden, Obama, Mondale, Carter. So what all of these national media do they are creating a Kamala Harris standard that is completely different from every other vice president in modern history.
8: Yeah, uh, you know, and, and Manchin, that was his white privilege. How dare this black woman come to my jurisdiction, whether she's vice president or not, without telling me? Really? I got to get your permission to come to your jurisdiction, whether we won West Virginia or not? Um, uh, secondly... You know, Rowan, your breakdown was excellent, and I agree with it. I offer one friendly supplement. This shit is hard. (laughs) It's hard being number two, when you've been number one, defining yourself as the first, in many instances, prosecutor, AG, Senate, Even as a senator, you're defining yourself. Her cross-examination of witnesses was masterful, right? And now she's number two, and her agenda and definition is Joe Biden's, as you said, not hers. It's hard to operate in that space, whoever you are, with no prior experience or definition of, of this space, which is why... Uh, the former speaker for California, one of the reasons was Willie Brown said before she accepted this nomination, you should go BAG, define yourself, you won't be under the White House scrutiny or thumb, and you can build your own constituencies. Well, she went for vice president, God bless her, right? But this is hard stuff. And the backdrop of racism and sexism and all the other points that you raise make it even harder, right? She is not herself very often when she's talking. When she was a senator or an AG, you saw the real Kamala Harris. Smart, funny, brilliant, independent, fighting. As number two, she's carrying Biden's baggage and speaking for Biden and like Biden and, and has these contours around her. You don't see the real her because as you say, her agenda is Biden's agenda, it's not hers. She's doing the best she can and doing a hell of a job, quite frankly, despite all those challenges you mentioned, including the infighting and Biden's people doing her in. So the one time, the uh, I,
2: one I thing, that's what I think. The one time you actually have heard vice president,
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long.
2: President Kamala Harris, without the vetting of the White House, folks, if y'all find it, let me know. When she spoke extemporaneously at the Buffalo funeral, she, yeah. was, she wasn't yeah. supposed yeah. to speak. Yeah. Reverend Al Sharpton said uh, she's not scheduled to speak, but I need the Vice President. come couple here makes remarks. If y'all listen to that speech, let me know if y'all find it. If you listen to that speech, you will hear Vice President Kamala Harris. It wasn't written. It wasn't vetted by the White House. It wasn't it didn't check it. When you hear it, you say, and I, I said to her folk, that's the best I've heard her since she's been Vice President to that point. But I'm, 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 uh, let me know if y'all find this, but I, I got to read this because I need y'all to understand, again, when certain comments are stated, what they meant. This is the Atlantic article. For now, Senate Democrats are not fighting for time with Harris when she's on the Hill. Quote, You'd be hard-pressed to find a Democratic office that actually engages with her or her team on a regular basis. One Democratic senator's chief of staff told me, Traditionally, this person said... Officials from the executive branch who visit the Capitol are cornered by lawmakers hoping to get their priorities before the president, but few people are scrambling to make alliances with Harris, not because of any dislike, as this person and other congressional officials told me, but simply because of uncertainty about the nature of her role. In her case, the chief of staff said, it's kind of like, hey, good to see you, and that's kind of the end of it. Now, let me explain to something y'all right now, why this is utter bullshit. Senator Harry Reid, do y'all remember when they were negotiating a funding bill? Vice President Biden cut a deal with Mitch McConnell. Harry Reid said, Keep that son of a bitch out, out of the room. They refused to talk to Biden because Reid felt that Biden gave too many concessions to McConnell. So this whole notion that, oh, no, that's how it works, the reality is this here. There's a coterie of people who, are around Biden, they say the power's with us. Hell, Jamie Harrison is the head of the DNC, and he can't move like he needs to move, and we've seen stories how he's been frustrated. Y'all notice a common theme here? Black DNC chair frustrated? What's up with the vice president? What's her role? The reality is... The role of Vice President Kamala Harris is the role of every other vice president. That person is the number two. Everybody on Capitol Hill knows the power is in the Oval Office at 1600 Pennsylvania. That's what everybody knows. So people need to understand what's going on here and how this thing is. We played these speeches. We've shown these different things. If you want to actually hear Vice President Kamala Harris... In her own voice, not stilted, not uh, unsure, not I need to sound like what the White House wants me to sound like, this is her in Buffalo when 10 black people were gunned down by a racist.
12: Good afternoon, church. (laughs) To the Whitfield family, the father of the Whitfield family, Mr. Whitfield. The pain that this family is feeling right now, and the nine other families here in Buffalo, I cannot even begin to express our collective pain as a nation for what you are feeling in such an extreme way. To not only lose someone that you love, but through an act of extreme violence and hate, And I do believe that our nation right now is experiencing an epidemic of hate. And as we know, and scripture teaches us, when we talk about strength, the strength of personality, the strength of spirit, the strength of faith, I think we all know that a true measure of strength is not based on who you beat down, it's based on who you lift up. who you lift up and it means then also in that strength, understanding we will not allow small people to create fear in our communities that we will not be afraid to stand up for what is right, to speak truth even when it may be difficult to hear and speak. There's a through line. What happened here in Buffalo? in Texas, in Atlanta, in Orlando. What happened at the synagogues? And so this is a moment that requires all good people, all God-loving people to stand up and say, we will not stand for this. Enough is enough. We will come together based on what we all know we have in common and we will not let those people who are motivated by hate separate us or make us feel fear. So I'm here to say that we are all in this together. No one should ever be made to fight alone. We are stronger than those who would try to hurt us think that we are. We are strong. We are strong in our faith. We are strong in our belief about what is right and our determination to act to ensure that we protect all those who deserve to be protected, that we see all those who deserve to be seen, that we hear the voices of the people, and that we rise up in solidarity to speak out against this and to speak to our better angels. Thank you.
2: I'm not, now, I'm not going to play the speech that she gave at Tyree Nichols' funeral, but that was a written speech that she gave at the Tyree Nichols' funeral. It's not totally different than that one. The point I'm making is this here. Part of the deal is, you have to, you have to, you have to let go of the reins. So, Gene O'Malley Dixon, Anita Dunn, the other folks around there, if y'all want to stop seeing these stories, Maybe what y'all got to do is allow Kamala to be Kamala. Understand that the strategy that you have, the communication strategy that you have, don't make any sense whatsoever. And Scott said it, and I'm telling y'all, it's the dumbest thing in the world that the Biden-Harris Department of Justice has been killing it in police misconduct, patterns and practices, hate crimes of uh, uh, victories, putting, putting cops in wardens in jail, and y'all ain't saying nothing. Play to her strengths. Oh, by the way, you might get more black support as well because folks will then see that despite the George Floyd Justice Act not becoming law, you have an active Department of Justice that's actually putting the work in. Let's see what transpires. Larry, uh, Rebecca, Scott, appreciate y'all being on today's show. Um, Always a pleasure. Thank you so very much. Uh, Folks, uh, I'm going to do the uh, Uncle Red tribute tomorrow uh, because I added some other stories uh, that took up more time uh, in the first half of the show. And so uh, we'll do that tomorrow. So we'll pay tribute to him. We got a great tribute, including one of the interviews that we did when we were down in Tulsa for the 100th anniversary uh, of the uh, race massacre uh, in Tulsa as well. Thank you so very much, folks. Be sure to support us in what we do. Uh, download the Black Story Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Uh, also, join our Brenda Fan Club, Bring the Funk fan club. See your check and money or to the P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, Dallas Sign, RM Unfiltered, PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered, Venmo's, RM Unfiltered, Zales, rolling at Rollinsmartin.com rolling at RollinMartinUnfiltered.com And be sure to get a copy of my book, White Fear How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds Available at bookstores nationwide Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Target Download the audio version on Audible Folks, I'll see y'all tomorrow Right here on Rolling Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network How?